Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Hey, I'm Charles Robinson, and welcome to Future City, the monthly show here on WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. The holiday season brings together family from far and wide. This time of year provides a unique opportunity to learn about family history, unknown relatives, and a chance to clear up fiction from fact. On this show, you'll hear from Rodney Brooks, who is a financial expert. He learned about his family's life in St. Mary's County. His great-great-grandfather owned some 75 acres of land in Maryland's first county. He was also able to learn about his Nigerian family through DNA. Speaking of DNA, Tom Macaria is a genealogist who specializes in DNA. Macaria will tell you what to expect when you submit material for websites to be analyzed. So where do you begin? Ari Wilkins has helped those who need assistance in tracing their family. She reminds us there are official records and unofficial records like Bibles and family trees where you sometimes have to fill in missing pieces. Wilkins reminds us you just can't go off what someone says to be accurate. She also cautions family is never linear. There will be side stories. She found that out when a relative told her they discovered gold left behind by the pirate Blackbeard. So I'm delighted to be joined by Ari Wilkins. She's a genealogist. Um, First of all, you know, a lot of people will be coming over your home over these holiday weekends, and it usually begins with a unique conversation that may come from a young person in the family uh, about, tell me what you did in the war, tell me tell me where are we from, and that kind of thing. So how do people get started? I think the best thing to do is asking questions, interviewing your relatives, um, writing down their stories and documenting their stories especially as we gather for the holidays and you're at your relative's house, ask around, ask what kind of artifacts they have in their house. Do they have old family Bibles? Do they have old family photos? Do they have um, old funeral programs that you might be interested in as you start your research? But the most important thing is to ask questions. And in this day and age of technology, I specifically like to take my iPhone and record those conversations so that I can go back and use those interviews verbatim. I'm going to guess somewhere along the line, someone will ask, well, Grandma, how did you learn how to make that macaroni and cheese? Yes. (laughs) And does that begin a conversation? That can begin a conversation. Um, One of the things that I love to do with my mother, especially when she's in the kitchen, I will ask her um, a lot of questions, even if it surrounds a holiday. What was your favorite thing that your mother made or your grandmother made? What what were the smells, your favorite smells that came from the kitchen during Thanksgiving and Christmas? But at the same time, I'll ask her, what church did your grandmother attend when you went to visit her in Louisiana? So I'm collecting all sorts of things that in a way it catches her 
it almost catches her off guard where as she's peeling potatoes, she's like, oh, it was Mount Zion Baptist Church. And it will, it'll just catch her off guard and you can ask all sorts of different questions. I'm guessing sometimes some, some of these conversations kind of delve into family lore and delve into some things that may have been forgotten or are buried. How do you deal with that? You know, uh, I've had a lot of experience with that. And I think that especially when it comes with family lore, you listen carefully and you don't try to dispute the story because you're like, this is so far-fetched, this can't possibly be true. Or maybe you're like, is this a little bit of dementia setting in? And and now they're just making up part of the story. Um, there were so many stories that that you're just like, this can't possibly be true. And so then you go back after they tell you the story and you try to find the truth in the story. And one of the instances that I had was my father told me that we had a relative who found Blackbeard's gold while plowing his land in North Carolina. And I was like, there's no way this could be true. And I found out that it was true. And so, I mean, it was it was true gold coins that he found while plowing his land. And it was in the same county where Blackbeard had lived in North Carolina. And the U.S. Treasury came to visit from D.C. and investigated this gold that he found. I'm glad you mentioned the research that goes into the folklore and the facts. A lot of times, you know, um, majority communities can trace their lineage back, sometimes even to the beginning of the Revolutionary War. With African Americans, it's a little difficult. Can you talk about that? African Americans can generally have a easier time tracing their genealogy back from the present going back to 1870. And 1870 is going to be our critical point in African-American genealogy because the 1870 census was the first census that counted all African-Americans. So these were formerly enslaved people and people who had been free people of color before the Civil War. So then when you get to the 1860 census, you are either going to be looking for a free person of color or you're going to be looking for a person who was enslaved, who might be on the slave schedule, and then you would be researching an enslaver. So the things that you want to do, and this is why your family oral history is so important, you want to take every bit of that family oral history and try to be to try to trace back, number one, where your family was during the Reconstruction years, but then how to be able to find them in 1860. One of the more critical parts of the 1860 census is if they were enslaved, they were only listed by age and sex and sometimes color, which, whether it was black or mulatto. So mulatto, in theory, is supposed to be a biracial person, a person that has one black parent and one white parent or one or a um, Native American parent. However, when we are looking at genealogical documents, the person that did the recording of this document was, was making a site assessment. So they were looking at a person and saying they're fairly complected, they must be mulatto. 
And so the mulatto doesn't hold a lot of weight. Um, mulatto is, if you look at it, you could say, okay, it's a possibility they might have a white parent, but they might just have two fair black parents. I think a lot of folks will begin the process and start with a, if you will, a family tree. Is that normally how it starts? Yes. And that, that goes along with, with documenting what you have and what you know. And so you can start to create a family tree. You could do it online using websites like Ancestry.com or FamilySearch.org, or you could do just a traditional paper tree. And so once you start adding to that tree and especially everything that you know, and then you start backing it up with sources using census records and vital records, those family Bibles that I just spoke about and funeral programs, you start to build that tree out. Can you talk about the travels specifically of African-Americans? Because you may start in one state and then move on to another state. Correct. How difficult is that? It's going to be a somewhat difficult, but following that paper trail thoroughly in documents is, is going to help you. But, you know, the thing is, in genealogy, you have to understand genealogy, but you also have to understand history. And so as you're looking at your genealogy, whether you're African-American or you're white, you have to understand migration patterns whether it was westward expansion during slavery or people moving further into the deep south from the mid-Atlantic states into the deep south. You have to understand after the Civil War and after Reconstruction, migration, um, the Great Migration where African-American people moved up into the industrial north in the 70s where African-American people moved to the west to California. So you have to look for those patterns of things and you're following those patterns of things as you're looking at documents, looking at an entire um, family and looking where the children born. I was born in Ohio. My parents were born in Michigan. My parents were born in Illinois and North Carolina. I, me and my sister and brother were born in Ohio. So you're looking at this and you're tracking that migration. Where could all of these families be? You also want to follow history where was there some huge political thing that happened? If there was a lynching, whole towns could have moved overnight. They could have moved to the north. They all might have come together and settled in Chicago into one neighborhood. So you want to follow newspapers and other sources what was happening in the community, it might make them move. One of the things I think uh, most of our audience has seen is finding your roots with uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates. And I know that has sparked a lot of this whole idea. Probably the most fascinating one I recently saw involved Angela Davis. And she actually did a DNA test and was amazed to find. Now, remind you, this is a radical Black woman from the 60s and 70s to find out that she has a relative who was on the Mayflower. And I, I, always, that. I, 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 I always find it interesting of the twists and turns and the kind of the aha moments. Can you talk about that? Um, you know, as an African-American person, 
it's always very surprising when you do stumble upon these things. I also work in a genealogy section at the library. And so I have lots of patrons who come in that are totally expecting things to go in one direction and it goes into another direction. And I always tell them, you've got to be prepared for the unexpected. You've got to be prepared for, especially in DNA, non-paternal events. You've got to be expected for the unexpected at all times. So you're going to find a lot of things that you were not expecting. There is a kind of a, a symbiotic relationship when you see Black folks who look like you, you go, I wonder if we're related. <laughs> do you get a lot of that? We do. We do. I We do see that. Yes. And, you know, that's that's the beauty of looking at DNA kits is you find people that, that you've been friends with online forever and suddenly they're a distant cousin, you know? If you were to uh, tell a young person, look, we want you to try and figure this out. What would you kind of caution them? And what would you do to get them excited? To get them excited, I usually try to find things that interest them, um, pique their interest at the very beginning. For instance, my brother is a doctor. And so I'm always sending him death certificates so he can see the cause of death and things like that, looking at health issues and so forth. Um, I think finding a part that interests you and, and going down that rabbit hole is going to be the part that really grabs at someone, right? I think what as an instructor I would advise people to do. Genealogy is lovely. It's it's a great, great hobby, but the commercials are going to tell you with a click of a button, you are going to go back 200 years and you have to be patient. I've been researching for longer than 25 years and I'm not through researching. You know, it's every, with everything you open, it's Pandora's box and there's more and more and more to find out. And so you just, you have to be patient. You have to be distinguishing. And as you look through records and as you look at online materials, let's say other online trees, you have to do your own research to say, is this a correct document? Is this a correct tree? You have to be willing to put in a little bit of research of your own and do that critical thinking as you're doing your research. Sounds like you have to have a great sense of skepticism. Well, uh, Ari Welcomes, thank you for joining us here on Future City. Why don't you tell people where they can find your work? My website is blackgenesis.com. And you can find my email address, awilkins at blackgenesis.com there also. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ari Wilkins. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We don't want you to go anywhere. In our next segment, you'll likely see ads which suggest by looking into your DNA, you can discover long lost relatives. Our expert gives us insight on what's possible. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, 
where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. These days, you can find out a lot about your family by accessing your personal DNA. There are a number of services that you can use. Tom McCaria conducts workshops for Maryland's Genealogical Society to help navigate the alphabet soup of services. So I'm delighted to be joined here on Future City by uh, Tom McCaria. Tom, um, you deal a lot with uh, genealogical research, especially as it relates to DNA. First of all, let's talk a little bit about what DNA gives you as it relates to trying to find out information about your family. Usually when you when you take a DNA test, you actually get two different types of results. Um, one of them is known as an ethnicity estimate, and, and those are the 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 pie charts or you know 30% Irish or you know 20% German or whatever that that you see advertised on TV. And uh that tells you about your general ancestry maybe going back you know as much as 500 years or more. Uh, the other thing that you get which to a lot of of genealogists is more interesting is a list of your matches. You know, there's these are the people that you share DNA with and exploring that list of matches and and finding out about cousins that you never knew you had uh, is is really, you know, to me, you know, the more rewarding part of, of DNA analysis. I know that a lot of people are familiar with some of the more popular sites as it relates to DNA. That would include Ancestry.com and 23andMe, are there other sites out there that folks who may want to consider as it relates to uh, DNA and testing? Well, there there are generally acknowledged about five major, what I'll call major testing sites. Uh, Ancestry and 23andMe are the two that, that you've already mentioned. Uh, a third is MyHeritage. Each of these companies actually give you more information in certain areas. So Ancestry, of course, is very strong in the United States. 23andMe gives you a lot of health information that, that you may be interested in. My heritage is more oriented toward uh, countries other than the United States. They have a, a much wider audience there. Uh, then there's family tree DNA, which is actually the, the the first DNA testing company that was established. And it gives you a, a wide range of, of different types of DNA tests that you can take. And then the last and most recent is uh, living DNA. And it its specialty is the British Isles. So if you're from the British Isles or have British Isles ancestry, it gives you a much more granular look at where your folks could have come from. In other words, it won't just say they came from the British Isles. They'll say they came from Kent or, you know, a, a particular area in Great Britain. So uh, those are the five major ones. Uh, there are a couple of other sites that specialize in African-American uh, DNA testing. Uh, one of them is called African Ancestry. And the other 
is Afroroots DNA. And Afroroots has been on sort of a hiatus for a while, but they're just now getting back into the into the testing business. Those two sites do not give you matches. They will just give you the ethnicity information that I talked about. So, uh, but all of the other the other five that that we mentioned all give you both the ethnicity results and a database of of matches. I know that as people have been using these, there have been a lot of concerns as it relates to where your DNA goes. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I guess the, the the two questions, two big questions that you ought to ask before you take a DNA test is, well, first you should go to the site and the site will have two things that you really should read completely. Now, I know that's a big ask because these are not page turners that I'm talking about. One is the, one is the privacy policy, and that is how the company will handle your, not only your DNA, but your personal information and who they might share that with. Uh, if, for example, they have research agreements with another company, they should give you the opportunity to either opt in or opt out of doing that type of sharing. So that's the privacy, uh, privacy policy part of it. Uh, then there are also the terms and conditions. In other words, how you can use the website, uh, they should always say, though, that your DNA is yours. They should never, never even hint at, at owning your, your DNA. Now, the other thing that you really ought to keep in mind before you take a DNA test is that DNA can reveal some surprises that you may not be expecting. Uh, you may you know, run across a half-sibling that you had never known before. Uh, you know, in addition to just your 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 cousins that you get, you may find that um, uh, a a close relative who you thought was a close relative actually isn't. So, you need to keep these types of of surprises in mind, and not only how they would affect you, but for example, if you're giving a DNA test as a gift to a family member. Uh, how they would react if a surprise came up that that they they were not expecting to learn through the DNA test. I know that you do a lot of uh, webinars slash uh, get-togethers with folks about this whole process. Yes. What are some of the questions that you get when you begin this process? Uh, the, the 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 questions that I get. Um, are 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 so varied it would be difficult to 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 pin down many of them i mean there you know some people are interested in actually digging down into these the, these matches and and there are techniques that you can use with your dna matches to help you build out your family tree to to discover some some relatives who who you may not have had hints about otherwise. Uh, DNA will always can always tell you or will always tell you that you are related to someone. They just won't tell you how. So in order to, to make that full connection, you not only have to have the DNA information, you also have to do 
what I'll call traditional genealogical research, uh, you know, looking at records, looking at census records, birth certificates, death certificates, all that type of thing, and then meld those two types of information together into the the, the big picture that you're trying to put together. I know yeah. that a lot of people use census data as a starting point. What other kinds of uh, materials that may be in the public domain are, are are available to people? Okay. Well, well, I mentioned uh, you know vital records, birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates. Uh, all all of that type of information is is available. Although there are some limitations, for example, birth certificates are not, you know, publicly available for a hundred years. So 1922 is about the earliest that you'll be able to uh, to get a hold of, for example, a Maryland birth certificate. But um, the, the the list is is long. I mean, new, newspapers are a great way to look for information about your ancestors because they'll they'll not only give you some of the information that you're trying to put together for your family tree but they'll give you the stories about your folks and those are the types of things that that actually make family history research come alive i was going to say that uh, many times people have used everything from bibles to you know, uh, records that maybe a family relative kept. Uh, I know in my case, uh, my great-great-grandmother actually wrote down her history. Uh, how does that play into how you kind of sort through your history? Oh, that, I mean, you know, you're, 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 you are very fortunate. I wish my, my grandmother or great-grandmother had done the same thing. when. Things like that are recorded and passed down. Those are obviously a great, great source to help put together, you know, what what you're looking at. Um, I would I would say though that one thing you have to keep in mind when you're hearing family stories that are passed down through the generations is that occasionally they could be embellished uh, or or not exactly the way things happened. Uh, so. So, you know, take that information and and treasure it, but verify it if you can. Uh, and and that's with some of the public records, which is which is not to say there aren't errors in some of the public records that you would get a hold of. So, you you just have to use your brain, I guess is 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 the the way that I put it. Uh, before we get out of here, Tom, is there anything people? should do to begin this process that you would you would suggest to them in order to get uh, just a, a better sense of genealogical research. The phrase that every every genealogist uses when they're talking to a new person is start with yourself. In other words, if you believe that you're gen, you, you you are descended from a Mayflower descendant, don't go back to that Mayflower descendant and try to work forward toward you. Work with what you what you have, what you know. Talk to your family members. Uh, they may know things that you don't. And just expand back in time, you know, one step at a time. You know, don't skip skip steps. That's when you when you start to make mistakes. So, you know, once again, start with yourself. 
Uh, if you have older family members, talk to them right now. And I mean, we're we're in a, in, in a great situation now where you can uh, sit down and record an interview with them, or you can videotape an interview with them. Uh, and then you will have that always to, to to go back to and and as you build your family tree on back. That's Tom McCarr. He is with the Maryland Genealogical Society, and he helps put people find out more about their DNA ancestry. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thanks to Tom McCarrier, a genealogist who specializes in DNA. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. You know, we have to take another break, but don't you go anywhere. Rodney Brooks is a national financial expert. He has written several books on black wealth. Recently, he was asked to tell the story of his family owning acres of land in St. Mary's County. He was able to learn about his family's enslavement and their journey from Africa. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. The personal revelations of Rodney Brooks and his family were chronicled in a National Geographic special. They trace his family roots from St. Mary's County, Maryland, to their voyage to the New World. I am delighted to welcome to Future City, Rodney Brooks. Rodney Brooks has been a financial expert for a number of years, and I've known him for a long time. At one point, he used to work for USA Today. These days, he writes a lot of books, does a lot of financial help. So, Rodney, first of all, thank you for joining us here on Future City. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here. So let's begin about, uh, you, you got a book out, so let's let's tell the folks about your book. Okay, my book is um, called uh, Fixing the Racial Wealth Gap, okay? And it's basically a, a financial planning guide for Black folks, um, but, but it combines, you know, basically, you can't fix the wealth gap without dealing with uh, generational wealth. So, so, it, so it's basically financial advice for Black Americans. Let's talk a little bit about you had I don't I don't know if you call it a revelation but I think all of us have an insatiable desire to figure out who we are and how did I get to where I am so talk about that discovery you know I'm fortunate in the sense that I've met you know when I was younger I met my grandparents um both of them on my father's side and um you know my grandfather on my mother's side but um you know, when you're a kid, you don't think about asking questions about, you know, where did you come from in your history? And, you know, my father died young, so I, and he never really talked about his family's history. So, you know, so I had this, um, you know, this, I wanted to know something about family history, especially the Brooks side. And um, so out of the blue one day, I get a call from um, a PR person at Wells Fargo, and she says, you know, we have a genealogy expert who can trace your family history. The thing we would ask is that you write a story about it. And I said, well, okay. 
you know, and you, and of course, you're going to think, what, what does Wells Fargo have to do with genealogy? Well, they have an uh, entire department um, that is that will um, do basically ancestry research for their quote high net worth clients. Now, I'm not one of them, so <laughs> I was basically agreeing to write a story. So, uh, so I, so like three months later. I get on a Zoom call with the Wells Fargo historian and and her research assistants, and they've told they come up with documents and they've traced my family back to the 1870 census, where my great great grandfather worked on a farm in St. Mary's County. So I had no idea. I was born in Baltimore. I had no idea of the St. Mary's County connection. So David Brooks and his wife, Mahali, in the 1870 census, and, and his brother James, which would have been my great-great-uncle, um, lived on that same plot of land. So they bought 40 acres of land from the former slave owner. Now, I don't know if they, I, I wasn't able to determine if they had been slaves or not, but they paid it off. And um, and and then bought another thirty five acres of land. So, so I'm gonna have that to come back. That them very wealthy during a period yeah, well, of time when <laughs> there was very few black landowners in America. It was. It um, and it was amazing to me that they had you know they had these seventy five acres of land. So, you know, I know it's not in the family now. So, I, so, my, <laughs> so my next thing is. You know, so you assume the worst, and that's what I did. I assumed the worst. Uh, I assumed that it had been stolen, they had lost it, or something. I did some research at the St. Mary's County um, Historical Society and found out it was indeed in the family until 1958 when it was sold by family members. So the 1870 census is the brick wall when you're looking for your ancestry. That is the first U.S. census where they actually had names for. For, for black people, because basically in the previous ones, they were listed as uh, slaves and uh, without the name. So between that, I started doing research. And also, I was able to go back another generation because on my uh, great-great-grandfather's death certificate, they had the names and dates of his parents. So, and that was David and Nellie, who were born in the late 1700s. So between the research at St. Mary's County and logging on and doing ancestry and doing DNA tests with ancestry.com, I was able to keep going back. Um, and before I knew it, I had gone back to my ninth great grandfather who was born in 1650 in Nigeria, who was enslaved in St. Mary's County. So this generations of, of family who lived in St. Mary's County now, one of the reasons I'm able to go back this far is because um, Charles Butler, um, what's his name? He lived to be 90 years old, uh, never never saw freedom, but he was a 90-year-old slave. There was an um, indentured servant uh, by the name of uh, Nell, called, they called her Irish Nell. Um, she did not want to be married to the slave owner, so but she did want to be married to Charles Butler. So Irish Nell married the black man, even though at that time, if a white woman married a slave, she became a slave and all her children became slaves. So so they got married. And there is some, a fair amount of written material on this couple. 
Um, there are a number of people in St. Mary's County who grew out of that union. You know, actually, some of the relatives, some of their descendants actually sued to get out of slavery um, and and won, and won their freedom. So, you know, it's this like, like an onion, if you will, right? <laughs> you keep pull, pull, pulling back a layer and you get one revelation. Then you pull back another and you get a different kind of revelation. St. Mary's <laughs> County is in Southern Maryland. St. Mary's is where Maryland was founded. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the first settlement in the, in the state of Maryland with the Dove and the Ark is in St. Mary's County. So you're talking about going back not only in time, but historically to the beginnings of the state of Maryland. Yes, probably because of that uh, rich history, they have an incredible, um, the St. Mary's County Historical Society is is really amazing, the records they have. So so I spent hours there looking through and, you know, finding, and between the death certificates and the research, I was able to uh, trace my grandfather's burial site, all Black cemetery in St. Mary's County, that was for years basically forgotten about and overgrown. Um, there are people who are taking care of it now, but a lot of the history was lost there because it wasn't taken care of. Headstones are crumbling, you know, headstones some of you can't read. So I went out there probably one of the hottest days of the year <laughs> and, and this expansive cemetery. And I'm looking, uh, you know, I'm walking around. Uh, I never found my grandfather's headstone. I'm going to I'm going to make another trip out there with a family member <laughs> who can, <laughs> can do it. But just to know that I was walking on this ground where my great-great-grandfather was buried um, when he died in 18, it was late 18th century when he died. And I know a lot of times you, in researching, you will go to several different sources to confirm some information because sometimes people will say things you go, no, that doesn't sound plausible. But until you can find definitive information, it's difficult. Did any of that happen? You know, I, I was able to find a lot of backup uh, at the St. Mary's County Historical Society. Not every county or city has the kind of research materials. There are people who come there every week and just sit there and go records you know so they have the census records 1870 and then they were you know they basically were able to show me the progression of my family uh you know as the as the kids grew up as as david and his wife in the 1870 census uh grew up had children and their children, um, my uh, great-great-grandfather and eventually my grandfather. That's where he met my grandmother. And, and even with all, as far as I was able to go back, I'm still missing because I was never able to ask my grandfather and my grandmother why they left St. Mary's County for Baltimore. And you could only assume, you know, you know, we talk about the Great Migration, but, you know, <laughs> they, they, this is where their families had served in on plantations, and and you know there were opportunities in in the cities, and you know, and Baltimore was one of those places where where you, where you go. So I knew my history somewhat more in Baltimore, but tracing it back to St. Mary's County was there were so many re, um, revelations there. You like I are a historical bus, so we could see what was happening in society, if you will, 
And as you saw Black migration uh, out of the Deep South to the Midwest and folks who lived in Southern Maryland, where life as an enslaved person was not kind and people were looking for opportunities. I mean, that whole idea, I'm going to pick up everything that I know, leave it behind to seek out a better life. That's a very unique trait, is it not? It, it is. I know that there are Brooks family members walking around St. Mary's County that I haven't discovered yet, right? <laughs> I, I know the descendants from, from the Baltimore connection, but I have not had time to make the connection um, because um, I told you that 75 acres of Brooks farmland, um, I got the actual um, contract between my great-great-grandfather and, and the white landowner, uh, which basically talks about the boundaries of that land. So I know where it is when it was sold in uh, 1958. I know there are relatives that we have never met. <laughs> um, and through Ancestry, I've met a number of um, relatives that I didn't know on my mother's side. You know, this could take me for the rest of my life and then my children. So... <laughs> But you get this great feeling, though, I mean, just to know. And when I started seeing stuff about Charles Butler born in 1650 in Nigeria, my my mouth fell open. I mean, so now Nigeria is on my bucket list, of course. <laughs> well, I want to get out of here on this, right Now that you have been able to document and find things, is there anything else that you want to know that you maybe... At the beginning of this process, she was like, well, not that one, but I do want to know about this. Yes, I want to know about the generations in between Charles Butler and and David Brooks. Both my great-great-great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather both were named David. So between Charles Butler and the David Brookses, there are, are all of these family members who did things and, you know, there's so much data, especially with the Mormon church and ancestry, uh, that I want to fill in those gaps. And that's that's that can take a long time. So I want to just find out as many of these family members as possible. That's Rodney Brooks. He is our guest here on Future City. Uh, tell them about the book uh, and where they can find your material. Fixing the Racial Wealth Gap is available on Amazon. And I mentioned I was writing a new book, and I'm writing a book on the Freedmen's Bank, which will be out in February 2024. Thank you, Rodney, for joining us here on Future City. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Rodney Brooks. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City. The desire to know who you are and why you exist is as old as time. For some of us, it manifests itself in family gatherings, especially during the holiday season. Trying to unlock the accounts of forgotten tales of triumph and tragedy is never easy. We can go to census data and learn about our ancestors. That is the beginning. Many times you have to turn to personal stories which were passed along. Like many of those you have heard, it is a journey. I know personally of the roads traveled by my ancestors as I have tried to uncover 
my family's history. I found myself at Tulane University where my great-grandmother's voice is stored with pictures of her life. It was a revelation. I continue to dig. Thank you to today's guests for sharing their expertise and allowing us to hear their knowledge. Future City is produced and edited by Spencer Bryant. You can listen to extended conversations with all of our guests and find out more about them by visiting WYPR.org and searching for Future City. I want to thank the Maryland Genealogical Society and Maryland Public Television for their assistance in locating some of our guests. We welcome your feedback, and you can email us with your thoughts and questions about the show at Future City, that's one word, at WYPR.org. Until next time, I'm Charles Robinson for 88.1 WYPR, and my producer, Spencer Bryant, and everyone who makes Future City possible. We hope your dreams of tomorrow become a reality. I'm your host, Charles Robinson. Future City is made possible by McCormick & Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at mccormickcorporation.com.